Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It feels like forever since we've been in the studio, guys. A lot, and I mean a lot, has happened since we last recorded. And I'm not talking about the football. Oh, the discourse has been discoursing, it's guys. It's like five days straight of discourse. <laughs> it's the international break. What yeah. is it about the international break that makes everyone lose their no, minds? Uh, we were saying this. I think it's it's more time on the internet, less football to talk about. Guilty. So you unpick <laughs> every single different thing. We're going to get onto that. But first, just want to touch, um, you know, touch on how everyone's bank holiday weekends went because it was a long weekend in England and a long weekend, I think, in lots of parts of the world. But we got Friday off. Thank you, Jesus. And we got Sunday and Monday off. Thank you, Jesus. And even better, because it's international break, it meant it felt like actually, I think for a lot of us that work in the game, some actual little breaks. Because normally, I mean, I wasn't doing EFL stuff this weekend, but... When I was doing EFL stuff, you, like bank, Easter Bank Holiday is massive for EFL because you got a game on the on the Good Friday and you got a game on the Bank Holiday Monday. But I wasn't doing EFL stuff this weekend, so I meant I actually had both of those days off. We were reflecting on the Thursday game, but actually, very nice sunny Bank Holiday, wasn't it? I don't know if it was sunny here because I was on my holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Becky was in Pathos in Cyprus. I was, yeah, it was lovely. Went to a water park yesterday. This time yesterday I was at a water park. Actually, this is a big downgrade for me being here with you guys. Sorry. That is so rude. I'm sorry, but it was great. <laughs> Crash back down to earth. In the same way she crashed out of that <laughs> slide. <laughs> <laughs> was it scary, those slides? Me. So I started off quite nice. So we, there was four of us, so it's perfect. Yeah. Um, Jesse, different Jesse. Rude. Um, <laughs> sorry, I have two Jesses in my life. So there was two of, two of us who were quite brave at the water park, and then me and my friend Anna, who were a bit bit scaredy. So I built up from being scaredy to going on the really scary slide, which was literally like just a vertical drop. And yeah, I will not be putting that into that video on the internet, please. Other than my own private Instagram. I'm sorry, everyone. It is too ridiculous. Put it Close on your friends. Twitter circles then everyone else will be able to see it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Close friends, you know who you are when you see that today. I'm Becky's so there. graceful. <laughs> so that was me yesterday at the water park and I had a great holiday. Love that. And um, Jesse, what did you get up to? Um, I didn't really have that like much of an exciting Easter weekend. I was doing work stuff on Friday and Saturday and then did an Easter egg hunt in oh, my garden cute. on I Sunday. Did, did you win? No, I came. I always come last because my dad is a very tall man and oh. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because I am the shortest of my three siblings and he often hides the eggs like quite high up That's on, discriminatory. you know, windowsills and things like that. So I don't, I'm just also a bit lazy about, you know, <laughs> I could do it for like a minute. Ed and Emily, my siblings, they all like, run, like sprint <laughs> around the house, like <laughs> fighting each other, like screaming. I just, you know... We all get an even amount of chocolate to find, so I can well, go not as slow as I want. Enough, right? No, because we get told, you know, this is ridiculous. We are all over <laughs> twenty years old. Um, we all get told, you know, you have to find four of this color, four of that color. Da, da, da. Oh, so the winner right. is who finds their allocation Quick quickest. Enough. But you still get your allocation at the end. Oh, okay. I, I 
I see what you mean then. So, so why bother? Like, well, for the glory, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, but the glory of an Easter egg, hunt, Easter egg hunt is having all the chocolate. Not if you're a Parker Humphreys. The glory is wow. beating your other siblings. <laughs> and you just, don't, don't, you just don't have that, that dog in you. No, I don't. I don't. Um, and then yesterday we went to Hawksmoor for Emily's 21st birthday. Ooh. Happy birthday, Emily. So that was delicious. Yummy steak. Yeah. Very yeah, fancy. Yeah. Really nice. Wow. Good weekends all round. Mm. Really good well, weekends. It was Mediterranean night at the all-inclusive last night, so I ate good too. <laughs> Wait, okay, we get it. You went on holiday and I went to Canary Wharf. I'm a little bit confused as to why they needed to do a Mediterranean night in the Mediterranean. <laughs> every, 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 night, every night was themed. Isn't every oh. night Mediterranean night? Every night was themed. Okay. okay. What was your favourite theme night? This is going to sound so stupid. Carvery night. I knew you were going to say Carvery night. <laughs> we were asking Becky why there She's was a Carvery. She's a vegetarian. Yeah, and Becky's vegetarian. The roast potatoes are so good and the gravy was definitely not vegetarian, but I just, you know, didn't think about it. So... Wow. What, yeah, what a don't feast. Know won't hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> what a feast. So as I touched on, yes, on today's show, we're going to be talking about all the Twitter discourse from the past week. We're also going to be touching on the finalissima, uh, England's penalty shootout win over Brazil at Wembley, and also previewing the game against Australia, which by the time some of you listen to this, might have already happened. So, spoiler alert. Um, and we're also going to be breaking down a few other bits and talking points from the international break. That's all coming up after this. So let's start with the football at Wembley. Becky, you missed Wembley, but I can tell I you... that you missed uh, it some of Wembley too. I did miss some of Wembley because my we're not going to get into the ins and outs of the security, card, security guard at C1 or whatever block she was at, but we had a bit of an altercation with the security guard, so my friend oh. Matt had to go and check his laptop in at like a safe it's a very complicated story but anyway that then meant we had to go and get the laptop out of mm. the said security place in the middle of nowhere um which added an extra enjoyment factor and layer to the Wembley experience um but I can tell you don't worry you didn't miss out because it wasn't a classic box park it was never it, is without me it was a good <laughs> it was a good box park but it wasn't a classic box park is what I will say um didn't go in before because it was so busy I couldn't be asked to queue and I just thought I'll go and have a drink in the stadium um then was slightly rerouted because of said security guard drama um and then on the on, afterwards they kicked us all out at 11 p.m good I'm so, glad to hear it Thank the you key to a good box park night anyway I think is you need an afternoon kick off yeah, yeah. well because they just uh, even though Agree. there was a lot of mixed messaging because Sue shout out Sue star listener had tweeted at Box Park are you open after the game in which Box she went Park, to wreck it she went to wreck it um, and they said yes eventually we got the answer we wanted then there were um, fake fake rumours that Box Park was going to be open till 1am because their usual Thursday licence is a 1am close so we were all there like 1am we could be here for hours and there was a disruption on the tube which Jesse encountered um, mm. so we were like let's just you know hold, hold it out here for a while um, but then quickly we realised no they're not closing at 1am they're closing at 11pm and it was last orders and then everyone kind of had to quickly get kicked out yeah that's so. also a problem with the penalties mm. is you, it eats into the eats not into that the you time. stayed for the penalties I heard so yeah neither did Jesse we both did a. We did I felt like Jesse had a more exit. reasonable reason yeah I did skip the penalties because I wanted to get an earlier train because I live really far away and I was tired 
But then Wembley Park Station broke, so I didn't yeah. even manage to get an earlier train. But I did think then if I'd stayed for penalties, I might have missed all the trains. Yeah. So I probably did still make and Flo just the right to... decision. I had to. I told you I had to go and get yeah. my friend. Every man for himself, really. I if 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 I'd have gone with you and you'd been like. We've got to go get my laptop. I've been like, piss off. Flo just hates penalties. She skipped the Chelsea one. She skipped the Flo England hates football. Ones. She doesn't want to no, stay No, she's too anxious for the penalties. That's I, the vibe. You look, blame, I think, I don't know what her name was, but blame the security guard. Did you whatever. see the equaliser? No. <laughs> so I think we left in like the 90th minute or whatever it was. Big mistake. Um, because also I was like... Are you talking about Mary Epps? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, obviously I was watching that game thinking... That was good. I like that one. I was thinking Brazil aren't getting a goal in this game. They, that, so, I mean, let's get on to it. I, <laughs> Box um, Park section is over. Box Park discourse is over. But yeah, seriously, Brent Council, we need to talk about licensing because it's not fair. It's not fair. You can't be closing at 11pm when you like people want to spend money in your establishment and there's massive delays on the tube. Anyway, watching that game, even though... Brazil played very well in the second half. England struggled to deal with the shift in formation, that extra body in midfield that Brazil had. And England were making a lot of mistakes trying to play out from the back. Even though Brazil were like pushing and pressing and creating opportunities, I still didn't see them getting an equaliser. It does come from that mistake. But... I still was very surprised that they got an equaliser. I don't know about you, Jesse. Yeah, I felt during the game that obviously Brazil were better in terms of breaking up England's build-up play in the second half, but I didn't think they were particularly threatening. And then I spoke to other people after the game and they felt like Brazil were threatening. So I watched the whole game back and I still <laughs> didn't think Brazil were particularly threatening. Um, I looked up the XG and I think... Brazil ended up with like 1.1, 0.9 of which is the goal because obviously it lands at her feet in front of the goal, um, which I think kind of tells you about the quality of chances they were creating. Uh, I thought JC Ferreira was really good throughout the whole game. She's such a nuisance. Um, she's just one of those players who, who really gets about and she's good on the ball and she'll be aggressive and she'll kind of get in your face. What was weird about Brazil in the first half was that they were just so happy to sit off England and England just played like... I don't want to describe it as cute, but it was just like such a cute little build-up pattern of play. And I was just really enjoying that. And then in the second half, it was like they were just so confused because they were like, wait, you just let us like pass out from the back like with no pressure for the first 45 minutes and suddenly you're you're pressing us. And I think mm. especially switching to the 4-4-2, having the two players up front just, just made it harder for England to get on the ball. So I think from an England perspective, that was worrying, the failure to deal with the change in shape over a 45-minute period of time. Um, and equally, you know, talking about Brazil having one massive chance, England had one shot on target in the entirety of that second half, which is pretty poor when you think about it. Um, but I thought in the first half, England were very good. The second half, they were kind of bad. I feel like you could tell that there are a lot of players in that England team who'd played a lot of minutes of football recently. Yeah, it was a... A performance that I think actually sets them up really well for the World Cup and a lot of people have written about this afterwards, but it had the stodginess and the kind of nervousness of a tournament game for me because I think we've seen England play in a lot of friendlies and obviously the USA game at Wembley was really fun and really chaotic, but even though the rivalry between the two teams made it 
a, a real kind of entertaining game and there was a lot of chat before and afterwards about the two teams and the journeys they're on. It still didn't feel like a competitive game. You, in, you know, you still knew it was a friendly because both sides had nothing to lose. And even though the Finlissima is a made-up thing and this is the first ever edition of the women's one. Everything's a made-up thing. It's got a nice trophy. <laughs> it's got a nice trophy, I will say. It's got a nice trophy. Um, but it's not like a Euros. It is just an exhibition match that they've created to try and make a bit yeah, of money. Yeah, I didn't really buy into this Finlissima thing. I don't know if other other people maybe did, but I didn't yeah, really did care about winning a, or losing. No, because it's, it's just a made-up thing. It's not again, like there is no history. Everything's made yeah, We're up, not going like... to get into social constructionism 101. <laughs> <laughs> on Tuesday morning. But um, did you, when you watched it back, did you see there was like, I mean, she was quite a young girl, but she couldn't watch Chloe Kelly taking that last penalty. And I was like, babe, it's not that deep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really not that deep. Like, we obviously we know um, Argentina, Italy played this one and Argentina's win in the men's game really did set them toward World Cup glory in a way, but it was not the defining moment in their path to World Cup victory. But it is something to celebrate, something to fight for. But I would say that there was an atmosphere, not necessarily atmosphere because of the fans, because there were moments where it was quite quiet, but I do feel like it had that nervous energy. It had that tension of something that was more than a friendly. And I think that was important for England because I felt like that kind of shakiness that we saw from them is exactly the kind of thing that they're probably going to come up against in the World Cup. And this was the perfect sort of nice little taste about sometimes you're not going to play that well in parts, but you're going to need to find a way to win. And you're also going to do it via penalty shootout, which is great practice as well, Jesse. I, I was just going to say as well, I think it's also important to remind England that if you make mistakes against lots, Lots of teams, you know, like I'd say any top, you know, top 20 team upwards in the world, there's a high chance like you will be punished. I think we've actually seen that from England in a couple of games recently. You know, you kind of think of uh, Italy getting a goal back in the Arnold Clark Cup and Norway getting an equaliser kind of at the, the back end of last year. And I don't think that's like something to be worried about. I think it just kind of speaks to the fact that there are lots of very good teams. And I don't think despite England's the enjoyment of winning the Euros, I think it'd be foolish to ever say, oh, that meant that England were head and shoulders above lots of these other teams, even, you know, beating the USA. I just feel like lots of teams are at a very similar level and this kind of this game kind of showed it. It also, I think, really made a difference that this was, you know, the biggest game England had played under Wiegmann without Millie Bright. And I think you could see how maybe that affected their ability to take back control of the game when when stuff got tough. But yeah, obviously it's good to like have a penalty shootout and win a penalty shootout. But equally, I don't think... I guess it was probably best for Mary Earps because she was the player who I wasn't wouldn't have been as confident about. I think we all know that England have a lot of good penalty takers. Like that wouldn't really worry me um, per se. And I also just think, yes, it's great to do it in front of like 80,000 people at Wembley, but... Every, like what we're talking about, everyone knows this. It's still different. You you can never recreate the conditions no, of what no, that no, would be no. like in a World Cup. But yeah, yeah, obviously it's. I mean, Ups, Ups, it took it. I mean, she it was like her World Cup final. Yeah, in between the every sticks. game is Mary Ups's <laughs> World Cup final. I think that we look at it and think it's not that important, but and and it will never match up. Like you said, it will never match up to the feeling of doing it in the Euros or a World Cup. But I do think the players take it more seriously than we do, and so it's, oh, yeah. for them it's closer than how we would feel like. I was watching the penalties and was just... You didn't feel that jeopardy? I didn't feel nervous. I was, you know, if we lose, we lose, whatever. But I do think they feel that 
jeopardy and they want to mm. win it is still a trophy whether it's made up or not they still want to win that and so i do think it's yeah i mean it's still, you don't want to lose in front of like no, all those no, yeah. people you, and have like brazil suddenly have the party you when... don't want to lose in front of your home fans against a team that's not that good via a penalty shootout before the world cup brazil. <laughs> but i think the grand scheme of things some of these friendly games that england have played think about the usa game right like you losing to usa at wembley wouldn't have been like compared to losing to Brazil at Wembley is a very different prospect. I would agree to disagree. I mean, yeah, okay, like the USA are the USA, but I think in terms of like where the USA are in their performances at the moment, kind of as we saw against Ireland, it was as reasonable for England to expect to beat the USA as I kind of feel like it would be for them to beat Brazil. Um, and I just think the nature of oh, because it was the finalist summer, I don't think you can just you can say like oh, it mattered more to beat the USA than Brazil and equally if they'd lost either game I don't there's this just this weird thing as well at this point like where you're on such a long unbeaten run that it starts to become a bit the thought of losing becomes way outsized in a way that if any team hadn't been on that run you wouldn't really think anything of losing a random friendly but when it happens and it will happen it's going it will to feel never happen. Like exactly, that's the thing. England have to kind of start to prepare for the reality that this that is it run now. is going to end. We just we just keep winning, keep winning forever. We and just ever. never on. ever lose. Wow. That, I mean, that would that be, be great. so good. I also want to uh, talk specifically about the back line, Jesse, because they didn't look massively comfortable for parts of, of the game, and we we you, we we touched on Millie Bright briefly, but. This game really showed how important she is to Serena Bingman's England side and how uncomfortable certain players look without her as well. Yeah, it's definitely... It was interesting to see the way Wiegmann lined this up, obviously with Williamson and Greenwood as the centre-back pairing and Carter as the left-back. Part of me was like, before this game, would I have just put Carter in for at Millie Bright's position just to kind of preserve your build up the relationships that you know Greenwood and Williamson have kind of found together and you are shifting them along your responsibilities are different um but I do think it's tough because Millie Bright is a very very reliable player and she's also I think very good in high pressure situations at kind of dominating the area when you look at centre-back pairing of Williamson and Greenwood they're both very much ball-playing centre-backs which is great and I think in the first half we really saw the benefits of that you know you can build up from your left side of your defence or your right side of the fence. it doesn't really matter you're going to move your opposition team around as a result but then kind of when the going gets tough you're put under more pressure maybe you need someone who's a bit more ready to just stick their boot through it and players did do that right it wasn't like they were getting they had to because yeah exactly but it it's just always gonna upset the balance of your defense um I personally thought Jess Carter actually had a really good game as well uh but I think she would have looked good wherever because I think she's in a really good run of form um so yeah it'll be interesting to see obviously most people will know by the time but like how what Serena goes with tonight um, because Millie Bright was pictured on crutches uh, over the weekend. So I don't know what that means, but maybe you do have to start thinking more seriously about... Well, any for any player, you have to think about what's the reality of, of the team without them. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure if I love the Williamson 
Greenwood combo, personally, at centre-back. Well, also to follow up, Alex Greenwood's dropped out the squad um, for, to receive treatment at Man City. So she's either carrying an injury or picked up an injury. She got, I think it was game. for the, she's in concussion she's protocol. In concussion, okay. So that affects England's back line for this Australia game. Obviously, we know that by the time some people listen to this, the Australia game will be done and dusted. So let's kind of cast a, a wider net of what England's backline might look like without Millie Bright for for the future because that Instagram post that she put out from her bank holiday weekend sent a few people on Twitter into a spiral. It did say back soon though. Well, so, yeah, that's what I mean. You know. I know, but some people were literally spiraling about England being knocked out one cup off the back of that, <laughs> and that's how important she is. To she'll be back soon. I trust that she will be back soon. She told me she'll be back soon. You trust Millie? I trust her more, more or less than Emma Hayes. I was going to say she was going to be back that week. Can we trust Chelsea though? We can trust Millie Bright, but can we trust Chelsea? I trust Millie. Back soon. Okay. Well, I believe you, Millie. Whatever soon may be, because that could you could mean anything. What do you think that backline looks like? Let's talk about the game tonight specifically. But like, who would fill in for Alex Greenwood as well uh, in this situation? But also beyond that. What would your perfect back line look like without Millie Bright if you had to legislate without Millie Bright? I would just put Jess Carter in for Millie Bright and play the Greenwood, Williamson, Carter, Bronze back line. I think that would be fine. I think Carter would offer maybe better cover for Lucy Bronze than Leah Williamson in terms of being able to deal with that space in a 1v1 way. Um, without Greenwood, I think it's interesting. Obviously... It's kind of fascinating that Rachel Daly's like the only player from that the Euro starting eleven who's effectively lost her place actually because now it seems like she's just seen as a striker. So I don't know whether we would see her come back in at fullback, but potentially more likely we see Neve Charles, which is interesting. Neve Charles I think feels very very much like a Serena Vigman player in terms of she just works and works and some of her some of the data behind her performances in the WSL has been so impressive she is the England squad member with the most tackles won in the WSL this season she has one of the best um, aerial jewel win ratings in the WSL and I think those are numbers that would kind of surprise people because we do have this perception of Neve Charles as being a bit of a liability I think she can get caught out still definitely but we've seen in recent Chelsea performances that when the going gets tough, she will put in a very, very high level performance. It's hard for her at the club because she gets moved to play in every single position, as Emma Hayes likes to do with a lot of players. I think in the long run, that kind of benefits players. I, I don't I don't think Jess Carter plays the way she plays now if she hasn't had the experience of playing everywhere at Chelsea. And equally, I, I hope that Charles will get the opportunity to nail down a proper position and... I think that might end up being as a fullback. So I would like to see Charles Charles get a shot. I think she does deserve it, even if sometimes she does make me feel a bit nervous. But no more nervous than Rachel Daly at left-back would make me feel, to be honest. So I was going to say, you move Charles into that left-back position, get Carter alongside Williamson and then Lucy Bronze starting at right-back I would also for, for the Australia game. I would actually probably put Myla Tissier in. I'd like to see Myla Tissier play alongside Leah Williamson. So Jess Carter, sorry, hon, you're getting a rest. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got to think about the Chelsea game. So. <laughs> We've already called Kanisha Buchanan home. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be interesting what happens in that Australia game. We'll probably reflect on it on Thursday. It's a, it's a tough one for Australia because they've got a lot of injury issues. They lost to Scotland, but they're missing like the bulk of their squad really um, various players carrying niggles so it's not the kind of Australia that England 
could potentially meet at the World Cup in that round of 16. So we shall see what happens in that one. Back at Brentford, the home of the Women's Euros, I think. The spiritual home of the Women's Euros. No, Brighton for me. Brighton's yeah. spiritual home. Yeah, yeah the those, Amex. Those two games at Brighton Norway were the best. Norway and Spain. Yeah. Right, so something we want to start on, which links quite nicely to our England Defenders chat, is uh, some quotes from Steph Horton's appearance on Five Live, which then got turned into a Telegraph piece, which then got turned into some hashtag discourse. And then Serena Wiegmann was asked to comment on it. Discourse in her, Queen. The Discourse Queen. I didn't, of course, I didn't know that. What did she, she say? She was asked, she did said what, uh, you know, she, she's been Diplomatic. quite upfront. She basically said, though, it's unlikely that Steph will go to yeah, the World Yeah, she, was she wasn't necessarily diplomatic, but she was <laughs> very honest, I will say. And she did, she's, 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 she's very consistent in what she says. And she said she's not in my plans right now. And unless there's big injuries, they're probably not going to change. So for those of you that may have missed it, but I'm sure lots of you didn't, um, Steph Horton was on Five Live doing some men's football coverage in relation to Premier League football on Sunday, I think it was. Um, and she was asked about her England future. And the main quote that like, I think really took off on the timeline, correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, was around closure. And essentially what she was saying was, I would just like to know whether I've got a chance at making the squad for the World Cup or whether like I can basically, you know, not focus on that and whether my time is is up um there were more quotes than that but that's kind of the main one that got clipped up um but there you know the the interview i think with steve crossman did kind of follow up and you know i don't blame steve crossman because that's what a lot of people will know steph horton for is playing for england and missing the euro squad so he's got to ask her about it a lot of people are saying oh you know you're fishing for you know controversial quotes but it's like well you need to set up the context of why steph horton's in the building for five live in the first place she was the captain of england for a very long time she played for england for a very long time and she missed the euro You've got to talk about that and her England future before you move on to any of the men's football stuff. Anyway, then because obviously it's Steph Horton and her future around England is always topical, even though I would say that in reality she is quite long, you know, down the list of potential centre-backs in the Wiegmann era based on, you know, current potential as well in England's future. But that got turned into a Telegraph piece with the full quotes and then that got turned into hashtag discourse, Jesse, because lots of people were saying, you know, it's unfair on her based on the her form in the WSL not to be considered. Um, and, you know, where does she kind of lie now in Wiegmann's future, I guess? I'm sympathetic to Steph and I'm sympathetic to Serena. I'm just a very sympathetic, <laughs> kind person. <laughs> but I can see from Steph's point of view, she has been playing. I think she's played fine to well. Sixes, I would agree. Sixes or sevens. I would agree. Not setting the world alight. I would but, agree. You know, some tough games against uh, Chelsea, against Arsenal, and she's looked. She's she's held her own. I think in City's backline in those matches. The thing that I think she's getting at, which I think is true, is that she obviously feels there is a reason beyond her footballing ability that she is not getting picked. For England, And my personal opinion is that that is fine for Wiegmann to decide that 
for whatever reason, maybe it's because she prefers to develop younger players who aren't as accomplished, but, you know, bring in people like Lucy Parker, like Maya Leticia, like Lotta Wibamoy, that she thinks that's a better use of time or because she doesn't want the disruption of, not that I think Steph's disruptive, but, you know, a disruption of having a player who clearly generates a lot of interest, um, who generates a lot of attention in terms of having been a former England captain. And if that is the case, then maybe it would be kinder to Horton to say, look, it ultimately isn't a football thing. It's never going to solve... You could drop 10 out of 10 performances for the whole season and I'm not going to call you up. I also understand what Vigman's saying, which is like, what if all of my centre-backs got injured? Obviously, at some point, I would look to call up And then it would be awkward if you had been, if you had said your time is up and then you're knocking the door saying, actually, come back in because you don't want to make it a personal thing. And obviously we don't know the extent of the conversations that have already happened between Steph Horton and Serena. But given what Horton is saying, you would have to assume that they haven't been as... All we know, all we know is that when Horton didn't get picked for the Euros, Wiegmann said in her press conference that it was an awkward conversation and Steph Horton was not happy about it. And that's all we know we've heard of their conversations. We haven't heard anything more. So you can kind of understand it from both sides that we we don't know the sort of conversations that Serena Wiegmann is happening, happening with anyone, but she does have conversations with people that do miss out on squads but it's those that often are on the bubble or have been in before and then are dropping out. Not necessarily someone like her who has been on the periphery now for a a, a bit of time. And what's a shame is when you look at how Jill Scott and Ellen White got to finish their careers, I don't necessarily feel like either of those players were playing at a level significantly above where Steph Horton is playing. I think they both played very important roles in the Euros victory But I don't think anyone would turn around and say Jill Scott and Ellen White were the standout players as part of that squad. Their their roles were about um, experience, being able to trust older players. Um, You know, they had very, very clear roles. That's part of being in a vegan squad. That's fine. But as a result, they also got this amazing end to their time at England. And I don't know maybe if people don't understand the context of who Steph Horton is and her contribution to women's football. But it does feel incredibly sad to me that it seems like Horton will never get that moment with England, despite captaining them through arguably actually the biggest growth period in terms of the quality of English women's football. And that to me is why I feel like this whole situation is so frustrating. And in some ways, I don't think there's a perfect answer to it. But I feel like maybe the FA and Wiegmann could have done more with how they've handled the whole situation, even if it would just be quietly taking Steph aside and being like, look, maybe you should retire from international football and we can figure out like having calling you up for one last camp. Like there are opportunities to do that and give her an out. And I feel like what we've reached you now is Wiegmann understandably probably won't ever call Steph Horton up again. And then she never gets that moment. And okay, you know, Football's not a charity, but also I think there is room, especially within internationals, to honour and like give respect to people who have contributed a lot over a very long period of time. 
I, I agree with you in many ways. What I will say is that there was that conversation, certainly from a media perspective, like I was talking about things like that, about bringing Steph Horton into the Euros as a, an ambassador, a bit like David Beckham at, what was it, 2010 World Cup, you know, being a, an experienced head within the group but not necessarily in a playing role. And I can't exactly remember, but it was certainly clear that I don't think either party wanted that. It was either I'm going to be part of the squad to potentially play or I'm not going to be there, vice versa. So maybe that's something that they re-explore going forward and it'll be interesting to see whether either of them would like to do that. I completely agree with you that it's very sad to just see someone fade out with no acknowledgement of their contribution in, in a proper way beyond the passing of the captain's armband. When Leah Williamson got the armband, there was a lot focused on the kind of official passing of the baton from Horton to Williamson and, and a Massive reflection on her tenure as captain. But beyond that, her period on the pitch as a player hasn't really been reflected on. And that is a huge, huge shame given the send-off that Jill Scott and Ellen White have, have had. What I would say, though, is that Ellen White and Jill Scott had proven in their moments under Wiegmann in an England shirt that a, a level that they could deliver even though they weren't necessarily delivering in the WSL. And obviously there were moments where, where Stefan wasn't fit, but I would say the her performances latterly in an England shirt had been fairly poor. And I think that's probably the difference that Wiegmann saw in Scott and White compared to Steph Horton. That would be my kind of... I also think that the timeline of Serena taking over is really short and that there was not very much time to think about those things, especially if she was still thinking about maybe including Steph in that Euro squad. And between the Euros and the World Cup, there really isn't time to do that. And it kind of seems like a new era of England has begun. And yeah, she won't get back in and that is really sad. But yeah, I just don't think there's been... Like this is the last this this is the last international break before they pick the squad, so uh, you can't really pick her in this one to have that moment, and you also can't really pick her at any time in between that and then after the World Cup, it's kind of like what's yeah the point? The, the opportunities do become quite limited, don't they? Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Mm. Yeah, I guess it does. It in some ways it is like you maybe you just have to chalk it up as being like yeah sport Shit. sport gives <laughs> crap moments to lots and lots of players. You know, very few people get to go out the way. Ellen White and Jill Scott yeah. did and maybe that should be seen as the exception rather than the rule um, I think maybe part of what feels sad about it isn't maybe how it's happened within England but just what the general perception of Horton seems to have become Yeah, you know I think everyone can understand that not everyone gets to bow out in the way they want especially because the nature of sport is the older you get the your performances decline, you're less likely to get picked and, you know, very few people go out at the peak of their careers. Um, but it's just strange, I guess, to see a world where Steph Horton feels like she's almost become the butt of a joke. Yeah. And I think that's what feels sad. Yeah, and and maybe this whole situation will be an opportunity for Wiegmann to perhaps build or rebuild a relationship with Stefan in another way because I do think the culturally spiky uh, not unintentional sort of directness of Wiegmann hasn't helped because she is so direct she's a, a really personable person she's really funny she's sweet she's a lovely kind of auntie figure but she's extremely direct and when she announced the the squad last summer and she kind of referenced those personal conversations with Steph Horton it felt quite harsh. And I think to open up a, a small 
sort of window into quite private things when it is someone like Steph Horton who has become in many ways this talking point um, and often, you know, uh, uh, potentially the butt of a joke. I think I would like an opportunity for them to kind of rebuild things in a in a more public way. And, you know, perhaps there is still uh, an opportunity for her to take on a leadership role that doesn't necessarily require you know perform like her to play in Flo's an so shirt. keen for Steph Orton to be in the coaching squad <laughs> I just think I would think it would be I mean I, you know obviously I don't know the ins and outs of that camp but I do think it's sad to have no legacy and just to be like this is where your career ended also injuries that all it's it shit as well when it's injuries and it's not necessarily mm. like I personally don't think her performances towards that stage of nuclear were brilliant but also the reason she in mostly dropped out of that squad is because she picked up an injury and then she hasn't found her way back in and that's quite tough I think to take and when... I personally also would still probably prefer to watch like have Horton come on in a World Cup game than like a lot of Wobbemoy so and but again that's fine that's fine if there's stuff beyond the football but it seems silly it seems fatuous to look at some of the performances of centre-backs who are in the current England squad and say it's solely a football thing mm. you really have to feel for her because the managers that she's been under as an England player and like they still got to semi-finals and you know performed well but just didn't have that they didn't she didn't she didn't get to play under Serena and that's really sad mm. because Serena's if Ellen grown. White had a smaller big toe <laughs> if she'd taken a better penalty <laughs> she could have played in a World Cup final yeah. but Cold, don't, take, don't take me back there well um, that moves us on perfectly to the Women's Football Awards because of course I actually I'm glad we didn't get to that World Cup final because then Phil Neville would have been successful and I cannot deal with that. I will not have it. So I do quite like the way he, until the Women's Football Awards <laughs> discourse, had drifted into the abyss because I'd given up caring about how badly Inter Miami were doing because they started doing sort of well. And then um, Beckham Jr. moved to Brentford B. So I completely lost interest in Inter Miami. <laughs> um, so that's quite good because he's kind of disappeared from my world. But now he's he, back. He popped back up as the so what Man of the he? Year Award. Man of the, so not no. male football ally. No, no, that let me was a separate. Uh, no, no, there's lots of Men of the Year Awards at this event. <laughs> it's all about the men at this I've event. I've always said women's football needs more. <laughs> More men. <laughs> um, so this was a big one as well, and this is kind of like I feel like this is counterpress top five guys. discourse, uh, you know, countdown. It's worse than we than we remember. Could possibly imagine <laughs> women's football champion of the year. Women's football, but champion. he's been coaching in men's football now what, for, year? for two years. <laughs> Maybe COVID just didn't happen for the women's football awards, and we're all just back still in the World Cup. What? Like, what has he done in twenty twenty? I guess 2022-23, apart from comment on England women players like, well done. Instagram's like, well done. That's all he's done. Flame emojis on Insta. Is I can do that too. Where's my award? We can all comment on people's Instagram profiles <laughs> and get awards. It's so bizarre. That's that's my biggest feeling of it. It's do like, you yeah, think what? it's like a clever social media ruse to get everyone talking about this award or am I giving them too much credit? No, I think you give them too much credit. I don't think it's a PR stunt. I think the whole, like the whole awards is a PR stunt in itself, but I don't think the Phil Neville nomination is a PR stunt because I genuinely think they're so disconnected and Jamie Carragher has a big role to play in this and obviously he's very close with the Neville. So I think that's the piece of the puzzle. what have you done? So it's set up, like, 
anyone goes right who, to the top. Anyone who's worked in the sports industry or is familiar with any industry knows that people make up awards all the time. You know, you've got Kebab of the Year, actually probably one of the better awards that exists. <laughs> um, you've got, kebab you of the know, Year, we would like an invite if uh, possible. <laughs> marketing, marketing Agency of the Year, you know, Train Line of the Year, Trade Union of the Year. Like, awards exist, right? And We're every- going to have a counterpress discourse of the year. Yes, 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 yes. I so love that. W- End of the so season. Start thinking about which of these discourses was your favorite. You've got to start remembering them. There's so many. I'm going <laughs> to lose track. We could do one of the week. <laughs> um, so anyway, they're, they're, I think it's set up by some journo who used to work at Liverpool Echo, and he obviously is like women's football really popular, getting popular. We need to create an awards for it. Now, little does he know that there's actually not as much money in women's football as you'd like to think. And therefore, setting up an awards for women's football isn't actually going to be the money-making scheme that you think, because often awards are very expensive to put together and then people charge like 10 grand a table to attend. You've got Jamie Ra- uh, Carragher. Who's sponsoring us to get this uh, 10 grand table at Women's Football Awards so we can um, boo, oh my boo God. and throw tomatoes? Yes, please. We, we will start a crowdfunder. <laughs> um, and the charity that Jamie Carragher co-founded, I think, is the charity partner. He is presenting and slash hosting it alongside Annie Luca, and he's been doing some promo tweets for it. It is the most kind of thrown together, rushed situation. They've actually got a fairly kind of reputable um, list of judges, including Tony Duggan, a few other kind of names that people who kind of, you know, would know about women's football. But the the list of nominees and awards, it's like a who's who of kind of like comedy gold. You've got the the ally one, which is a favourite of everyone's, which is basically like <laughs> Where's any- Erling Haaland and his word search? <laughs> oh my god, yes. He will be winning male football ally the other counter press. So awards. true. Thank you for the word search, Erling. So the the ally one was basically anyone that's like vaguely ever um, be near a Reece woman. James got a sister. <laughs> yeah, genetically or kind of literally. And we all know Richarlison went to the finalissima <laughs> because he was upset he hadn't been included on the list. Also, you've got Sheen and Klarna, probably the most cursed brands in just kind of consumerism uh, as the main sponsors for this event. It's so a hot mess, the whole it thing. Really, if you could dream up the worst awards, like a lot of this would be it. I actually like did not believe it until Flo got yeah, confirmation. Thought- I was like, I ca- I absolutely... Becky the film- thought it was made up. The male it's ally also got one- like 100 followers on Twitter, yeah, so it does feel the like... The male ally one, I was like... Yeah, Come on. And then the Phil Neville one, I was like, no, you are actually having me on here. I do yeah. not believe it. Um, I've just gone on to the Phil Neville tweet. It's got <laughs> 10 likes, 155 quote tweets. Wow. And all 10 likes of Phil Neville's burner accounts on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, lots of people got engaged with this content and this discourse. If anyone goes to the awards or has insight on how they're going to go down, please could you let us know? Because no, think- we're going to go to the awards. I am taking some tomatoes. Okay, if we're going to go, then great. But I mean, I don't know if we're going to get anywhere near this thing, Jesse, really. And do we want to? I don't know. Yes. I do want to see some of the chaos. Um, I can't believe they are not embarrassed, to, so embarrassed that they've cancelled the whole thing. I. It's so beyond baffling. Well, 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 Women's actually, Football Champion of the Year. Tell me what he's done. Who else is nominated in that category? I don't um, know. I've I only can seen... tell you we've got um, Ian Wright, Tracy Crouch MP, Karen Carney, Hope Powell, Lisa O'Keefe, who I think works for Sport England, Emma Hayes, Phil Neville... Paul Barber, who works at Brighton. Friend of my dad's. Her, oh, whoa. <laughs> Stop I'm, there. I'm, <laughs> hello, hang on a minute. <laughs> um, her game too. So, yeah. 
Um, whether it, the awards will go ahead on the 25th of May, we'll wait and see. It's, but <laughs> That list is like, you know that meme, which is like the two dragons who like look scary and then the one that's got his tongue out. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Hayes, Ian Wright. Phil <laughs> uh, we wait to see whether the awards actually happen or if they kind of run out on money or something. But you best believe they're going to be pushing to sell some tickets to this thing because they've got some big names. They go. got they got paid to be there. I think it's on the same night actually as the Football Writers Awards. As well. <gasps> well, yeah, they're already getting some of their clientele gone with that one. Another thing we've got to touch on is the Barbie drama from last week. So oh, a lot of people got involved in this as well so you'll be familiar with it but the Barclays WSL admin wanted to get involved in a big meme that was going doing the rounds on Instagram and Twitter about promo for the Barbie film where you know obviously starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling and the 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 film company had done all these memes where they were kind of trying to tease the amazing guest list of cameos and so then everyone started doing their own memes where they were putting their own um, Barbie or a picture of themselves in the Barbie AI generator or putting other people in there like I saw one of the podcasts I listened to doing one for Rita Ora and a cameo so it was it was there it was fun people were doing whatever they wanted with it so obviously the FA Barclays WSL admin has been kind of a little bit freewheeling recently we've seen them engage a little bit more kind of like internet chat whereas before it used to be very much like Here's the game. This is the halftime scores. Now they're trying to be a little bit more fun, a little bit more freestyle. As they should. As they should. I think it's important. And so they were like, okay, we're going to do some, but put WSL players in the little Barbie AI generator thing and then do some captions. Now, the issue, the bit, one issue I have on it, where I'd say, okay, you kind of missed the mark on this particular one, was the Bunny Shaw one, where there was no reference to a skill, an ability, a talent or a stat, which the others had, or a reference to like their place in the WSL. It just said, this Barbie is a bunny. So That one was weird. That one was weird. And I think that was a massive, yeah, misstep. So I'll say, admin, you probably realised that was a mistake. But... Beyond that, the timeline fully lost its mind over the fact they didn't even really, a lot of people didn't lose their minds over the bunny thing. Only a few people spotted that and rightly were like, that's a bit weird. Most people were losing their minds over the fact that WSL even referenced Barbie in the first place and instantly jumped on the fact that Barbie is for kids and pink and targeted at I this I saw like, someone say, I can't believe you're comparing these athletes to dolls. Get a grip. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, making the assumption that football is only for people that like dolls and only for little girls that like pink, rather than actually realising that, no, it's an internet meme about a film that is certainly not targeted at children. This is an adult movie about adult themes, if I was the BFI classifying this. I'm pretty sure it's a 12A. I haven't checked, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's a 12A. So it's not about kids here. It's about the internet and it's about meme culture. It was very much like, we're sorry if you're not on Twitter enough to get this. Yeah. Yeah. But we are all terminally online. <laughs> it's sorry that I'm sorry you're not addicted to the internet like <laughs> us, but you wouldn't get this. If you know, you know, basically. And it's not even a, if you know, you know. 
the whole fucking internet was taking pay, like part in this meme. It wasn't even a niche joke. Hashtag it was a global. justice for the WSL admin. You obviously anyway. are part of the social media admin union. Okay, <laughs> so. Does it have a name? I've, no, I can't. Tw- Twat. <laughs> Twat. Something about Twitter, I don't know. Twitter and, okay. I don't know. I was just trying to make it into... I, I can't wait know. to the Twat Awards. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was... Like, it's so... It's so dumb. It's again. It's just so dumb. It's a it's a meme. It was it's good engagement, and it was funny. It was dumb. It was tacky. I love it. It's not worth a news story and no. an FA statement. And deleting them, they deleted them as well. And I think this is the issue, right? Is that as soon as the FA released a statement on it, then it became a news story because a lot of journalists felt like, well, the FA are putting a statement out. We've got to cover it. It's now a story. If they if the FA had just either if they had to, which I completely disagree with this, quietly made made the account delete it, which I still think is stupid. Maybe delete the Bunny Shaw one or do delete the Bunny Shaw one, but you can leave the rest. Delete it and move on, which is often what people do when they're pressured into stuff on social media. Just makes it worse. But releasing a statement is just like completely ridiculous because... Unnecessary. Also, at the best of times, we can't get the FA to apologise for much and you're coming to <laughs> out to apologise about a bloody so meme. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Um, I felt really sorry for the admin. I thought they were probably like, oh yeah, this is really cool. Like, I got on the trend, done something cool. Yeah, I'm current. Also... What's so bad about being girly and like liking Barbie? And we we're having this conversation earlier about like the perception of women's football and um, maybe young girls not wanting to be seen as lesbians or especially butch lesbians. And that's like the very other end of the scale. Like, where can we be then? If we can't be butch lesbians and we can't be girly girls, like there's a very tiny the very middle ground. Kind of yeah. Woman. You I- can only be like Leah Williamson. And that's it. I will say my objection as well is Sam Kerr is clearly a Ken, not a Barbie. <laughs> I know. It's true. They didn't diver- diversify the Kens and Barbies, which we did on the Countercross content agree. at least. And I think it's exactly that. It's stop policing the way in which people exist in the women's football space. People want to exist in very different ways. People will have fake eyelashes and be Ella Toons Alicia and have Lehman their nails deserved done. to be in that Barbie post. <laughs> that's true. She's at home fuming <laughs> she's making her own ones <laughs> if she'd have been included no one would have kicked off because everyone had been like yeah that makes sense but also this is the thing you're never going to have one thing that's going to appeal to all the different people who like women's football because women's football is a multifaceted and exciting sport to be around but that doesn't mean therefore you shouldn't try and do something funny that might some people might find funny and other people don't like otherwise you're just gonna have something totally totally bland like the whole point is Women's football is an exciting space to like engage with things in a different way that maybe men's football does. So just let people do that and enjoy it and maybe talk about it and maybe disagree about it. But that's fine. You don't have to actually lose your minds over it. I'd like to say one more time. It's not that deep. It's not that deep. Yeah, it, it's, it's that's my judgment on every discourse that's if happened this week. If in doubt, guys, go outside and touch grass. <laughs> yeah, it's not that deep. And I also think it's ironic that this came out literally the same week as a new report from Football Beyond Borders about young girls not being like not finding women's football relatable, not being engaged in it, not feeling represented. It's like, well, if we get on and at people for trying to make women's football current and into it, like 
overlap it into pop culture and internet culture and then sort of have a go at them, then you're never going to make it relevant because the one time that they actually try and do something that's around what people are talking about the internet, you suddenly jump on them. It's like, this is exactly what the insight is telling us around young girls. Not- and, and crucially, it wasn't aimed at children. No, exactly. <laughs> it was just aimed that's at That's what was bizarre with people being world. like, oh, we're always advertising women's football to kids. I'm like this. The, exactly, the film is not for kids. It's go for, and complain to Aston Villa for having the Gruffalo, whoever they get to go to their games. <laughs> no, literally, literally, um, we could lose our minds all day about this. It was just a weird, a weird time, and I do feel sorry for the admin. And I feel like there are times when people do fuck up on the internet and sometimes not even just the internet in life and you know sometimes we do have to hold people to account and sometimes people do need to apologize and do need to say sorry and do need to learn and reflect this was not one of those times and I think a lot of the energy that people were putting into the hashtag Barbie discourse they could be putting into what I believe to be actually important things yeah. to hold FA, people to account. Like the Sam Kerr discourse. <laughs> <laughs> the, to the FA, we have a long list of dumb things that you've done that you could apologise for. And you're not replying to our emails. And so this please. is not one of them. So, like, come on, get your shit together. Couldn't agree more. Um, I think we've run out of time. We definitely have. I think we've run out of time. Um, there, there was more discourse on our list, but... There was so much discourse, and I know people really wanted discourse chat today, so I hope we delivered. We talk, had to talk about the big issues, obviously, um, but we will continue to touch on the discourse. There'll be more discourse. Oh, there will be better Guaranteed to be more discourse, because the discourse never ends. The international break might be ending, but the discourse never ends. I actually couldn't couldn't bring myself to delete Twitter on my holiday. I'd got rid of Instagram. I deleted the Twitter app and then just went on Twitter on my browser. So I just like, the discourse just keeps me in. Yeah, we were meant to be doing surprise oh, no. Becky discourse and then you basically couldn't hold back I couldn't, and couldn't wanted do to be it. online. I couldn't do it. She was texting us being like, explain the discourse to yeah. me. Because you, I would like you pop were onto Twitter FOMO. and be like, I honestly went onto Twitter and thought Mouse Watson was dead. <laughs> oh god we didn't even talk about and that. I was like guys what we is happening we can't even go there we can't even we go, can't go, even go there. there we don't have time <laughs> we don't have time but we wish her well um, because she did really fuck up her knee so we wish her well but and we that also was a whole other Scottish discourse. Sam Kerr isn't too upset too so <laughs> there's just too much to get through sending um, tough thoughts to you both <laughs> tough thoughts <laughs> tough thoughts <laughs> <laughs> the discourse has melted my brain uh, and for those of you that will be going to Brentford to night for the Australia game hope you enjoy it we'll be there um, it, what's the food that you want to get Brentford Jesse? I forgot chicken got to get some of the chicken goujons nuggets chicken don't know what they are but they were delicious best food of the Euros they do cost about £40 per <laughs> goujon but it's worth it you I would say best food of the Euros I would say okay, best there we food go. of the Euros we agree on something I tried to get pizza at Brentford during um, Spain once Spain Germany or something and I was too late so is I am it, sad that I'm not going is it Germany Austria my mum got stir fry and I got pizza at that game stir it was very fry. good yeah yeah well, no. Um, Onabachi no. got a pizza at one of the Spain games she at Brentford. Did, yeah. Remember oh, yeah. that interview? Yeah, guys, we come on. We've got to leave. <laughs> we've, got to go. we've got to go to Brentford and get the food. Anyway, enjoy the game. Uh, see you all on Thursday. We'll be back for our culture show, and we'll see you soon. <laughs> 